Hi, welcome everyone to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. So great to be with you. Today, the title of our podcast is The Upside Down Gift of Stones in Your Life. The Upside Down Gift of Stones in Your Life. Now, I've been holding this uh, sermon message in my back pocket uh, over the previous eight plus weeks as I have been sharing with you some of the nuggets from the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book, uh, different chapters, and inviting you to a radically different journey uh, with Jesus, both as a follower of his as well as a a leader. And so this uh, message comes out of Mark chapter 12, the parable of the talents, and in particular, a verse that Jesus shares to the religious leaders of his day that he quotes out out of the Psalms. And it reads as follows, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And the issue for David in the Psalms, as well as here in Jesus, is that the very stone that has been rejected is actually marvelous before the Lord. And so this is a truth that I studied uh, and preached years ago, but only with time has it deepened in me, as I might find myself returning to it over and over again and sharing it with uh, other pastors and leaders around the world. And the stone, of course, is Jesus, who was rejected as well as unseen uh, by the folks who knew the Bible in his day. And stones come to us all the time. And Jesus comes to us all the time. Little stones, big stones uh, throughout our lives. And most of us, we reject most of those stones, and we, or we don't see them as coming from God at all. And, and Jesus spoke of uh, his kingdom and his coming as a mustard seed repeatedly. That, in other words, it's almost imperceptible. It's apparently powerless and looks so defeated. So unlike the intellectual uh, power of Athens or Herod's massive pow- palaces or you know Rome's great empire and buildings and or the immense temple that the um, religious leaders had in Jewish days. I mean, Jesus' ministry seemed so small and offensive, and uh, it was a it was a stone that was just rejected. It, And he had these 12 disciples, didn't look like much. He had this Galilean ministry in the north, so small. He ends up crucified. And again, he was just missed by most. And so if you remember, we talked about how the world's discipleship is such a contrast to Jesus' discipleship. And so in this message you're going to hear in just a few moments, uh, we're going to talk about little stones that we reject as well as big ones. And that the Christian life is actually learning to see God in the stones of life. And I spent most of my life as a stone kicker. It's actually a theme, I believe, for all of us who follow Christ. And I actually tell the story in the in this message that you will hear uh, by a woman whose son was uh, convicted of um, a sexual crime and ended up in prison without parole uh, for the rest of his life. And, uh, and she writes about her stone in all of this. And he was 25 years and he was arrested. And she writes about just, you know, seeing other friends with their families and watching grandparents with families on holidays and her sons in prison. Uh, and she writes, you know, I found that it's possible to die, she writes, from a broken heart and the agony of crying until there's no more tears. But she found that the rock in her path uh, was not was not actually an obstacle, but an opportunity to encounter the living God in surprising, astonishing ways. And that's my prayer for you as you listen to this message I love, as as has rightly been said, that surrendering to the unknown marks the great transition in the spiritual life. So maybe you've kicked 
all, kicked a lot of stones out of the way, and maybe you've been written off yourself. But God says you're a gift to the world, and uh, the Lord has not abandoned you at all. Uh, or maybe you've been kicking a lot of stones that are in your way right now that actually have been God coming to you. Uh, the Lord's in this place, and I was not aware of it, as Jacob says in Genesis 28. So I want to invite you to join with me on this journey that we call Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Uh, you may want to take our, our uh, assessment of an, am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. to 15-minute assessment. But you want to get on this journey with us. But for now, let me invite you to sit back, whatever you're doing right now, and enjoy this exposition from Scripture that I'm simply calling the upside-down gift of stones in our lives, and allow the Word of God uh, to wash over you and inform the way that you approach the stones that God may be allowing into your life today. So, enjoy. Making room for stones. Parallel to tenants. Now, let me begin this message by saying, my name is Pete, and I am a stone kicker. My name is Pete, and I'm a stone kicker. Now, at New Life, we've benefited a lot over the years from, from the gift of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step meetings. And many of us in this room have been to 12-step meetings. It's tremendous. And, and uh, you know, if you go to 12-step group, one of the first thing you got to do is you got to be honest and stop lying. And so they got 12 steps. You know, first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or drugs, whatever it might be. And our lives have become unmanageable. So matter of denial. And I'm going to speak, you know, honestly, broken in community. And secondly, I'm going to say, I came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore me or us to sanity. Then it goes on to 10 others. And, and, and but what makes it so, so great is you get the sense of community. You got a sense of brokenness. But I got to be able I start. I stand up and speak in the media. I'm going to say, hi. You know, my name is Joe. You know, I'm an alcoholic. My name is, you know, Susie. You know, I'm a drug addict. But here we're going to say, my name is Pete. And I hope you're going to put your name in there at the end of the service. And I am a stone kicker. All right. And you're going to carry that with you wherever you go after today. All right. And uh, because I'm, I'm preaching this message, but I, I, I'm, I have to come at it honestly. And that is that I'm working through this. It's one day at a time. And uh, I still kick a lot of stones. I still fall a lot. And this, is, this has been a life journey for me. Very challenging text to preach because it, it cuts to the core of our relationship with God and our, our trust in him or not. And actually, before I read it, there's a key text in it. marked in, in the middle of this parable in verse 10 to 11, where Jesus says this. Jesus says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, or really capstone. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Okay, that's the key verse. The Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Okay? That's our key text. Now, let's, let's read the text. Beginning at chapter 12, verse 1 of Mark. The parable of the talents. Making room for stones. Verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. And a man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He still sent another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat 
Others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Amen. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, my prayer this day is that not only would we have a revelation of ourselves as kickers of stones that you put in our paths, but also, Lord, that you would show us how to meet you in the stones that you've placed in our lives. So we offer this to you in our time. May you speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, to understand this passage, you've got to you know, grasp a bit about first century Israel. It was very common in those days. There were big estates, big, kind of almost like plantations, in which uh, the owner was often a foreigner, lived in a different country, and they would rent out the land in this estate. And, uh, and, they, and then the people who worked the land, the tenants, would basically pay yearly out of the harvest. That Their rent would be the portion of the crops. And so in this parable, it, it's a relation of God and us. And so... Uh, the owner of the vineyard is God. And so it's a, right off the, off the top in verse 1 and 2, it, it, it lays a picture of God who loves us, who, who crashed his vineyard. He, he, he sets up the vineyard. He builds a wall around it, a wine press, a watchtower, and a lot of loving care. And he entrusts the vineyard to people, to us, not to angels, but to people. And he goes away. It's very important. He goes away because it's giving this sense of God puts responsibility in the hands of human beings to bear fruit. To serve him, to, to love him, to do his will. And so what happens is the owner comes back for fruit. And so in verse 2, at the proper time, he sends a servant, an agent to collect. What do they do? The first agent, they beat him. The first servant. The second servant they send, he, they beat him on the head and they treat him shamefully, it says. Then a third person he sends, servant, they kill him. And then finally it says, he sends, he sends many others. It says some they beat and some they kill. And so, and finally, he's going to send his son. He's thinking, they're going to love my son. They're going to respect my son. And, uh, but they decide, you know, verse 7, let's kill him. Let's kill the son. He's the heir. And then we'll get the whole thing for ourselves. And it says they kill the son and they throw him basically out of the vineyard, which the picture is over a wall. And actually, it's one of the most direct statements of Jesus uh, to the religious leader saying, listen, God has been sending you prophets and speaking to you for centuries. And now he's sending you his son, which is him. And as you know, they're going to kill Jesus and throw him all out of the city. Hebrews chapter 13. And, um, and then Jesus gives, you know, it's one of the most clear statements of Jesus, really, in, in, in Scripture, to be the unique, different son of God. That he is the final revelation of the love of the Father to humanity. But you see, the religious leader is just this incredible rebelliousness, uh, sinfulness, saying, no, we're going to do it our way. And, uh, and so rather than give faith and trust and obedience and bear fruit for the owner, which is the Lord, rather 
There's rebellion. And so then this verse, Jesus says this. He goes, just as scripture says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. That, that quote comes from Psalm 118. And uh, it's referring to the building blocks of building the temple in Solomon's temple. That's when Psalm 118 was written. And so the builders are building God's temple. And so they're only going to build with really, you'll notice the rocks there from the quarry are perfect. They're beautiful. Everything is decent and in order. And they're building a fabulous uh, sanctuary. But the problem is that when you get rocks, now you'll notice there's some small rocks up here. And then you've got a big rock. Not quite a rock, but you get the picture, don't you? <laughs> Too heavy to bring up here. Big boulder. But Jesus is saying this. He's saying, the stone the builder has rejected has become the capstone. He's saying, you know what I'm Jesus says, I'm the stone. But I'm not a perfect stone like you were expecting at all. And so what you do is you throw me, you, you got rid of this stone. Because you can't build, you're thinking you can't build with this. And he goes, what you don't get is, the stone the builders rejected is actually the capstone. And the word cornerstone actually means capstone. And it really goes like this. Um, you know, this is, this, is an example, this is a sample of the temple. And a capstone would be the stones up here. Okay, he goes, the stone, the building, the, the stone that you think is trash is the cornerstone or the capstone. It's one of the, one, one of the first stones you're going to see. It's kind of like, if you think of the Empire State Building, the stone you reject is like the, the top, the way it kind of goes into a, a funnel like that. It's got kind of almost like an antenna on the very top, but it's got this kind of a pointy, um, you know, pointy tip to it, to the building. It's what we all see when we go into Manhattan. Well, the same way he says, well, you don't get what you've rejected. God has destined to be the very capstone of the whole thing. And the Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. Fabulous text. And, uh, and, and so these religious leaders are people that go to church. Just like us. Jesus is speaking the parable to church people. Folks, the folks he's speaking to are the Sanhedrin or the religious rulers of that day. These folks were serious followers of God. They memorized the first five books of the Bible. Just think all those verses, okay? It's more than just Jesus wept, okay? We're talking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They memorized the whole thing. These folks fast two days a week. They're giving like crazy. They're doing evangelism like crazy. Their entire lives are about God. And yet, and they're building a life for themselves. And the problem is, as God brings stones to them, they kick it. Because it doesn't fit the way they're building. So they get this kind of a little stone, they kick it. It's a pest. Get this thing out of here. It doesn't fit. And, and Jesus says this, you have been kicking stones your whole life. And now the Father has sent the very Son himself. And you're going to kill him and throw him overboard. It's a tremendous text. But this text is meant for us, for people sitting in church. And he's saying, basically, you're just like that. And I know, because my name is Pete, that I'm a stone kicker. See, here's Jesus. They're looking at Jesus and say, Jesus looks insignificant. He, he's apparently defeated. He is almost invisible and imperceptible. And he's gathered these 12 disciples around him who look like a bunch of losers. You got Peter, impulsive. You've got... You, know, you got Thomas full of doubt. You got Simon the Zealot who's like a terrorist. You know, he's like a terrorist, suicide bomber. You got Matthew, you know, crooked businessman. You know, they'd be doing Occupy Wall Street around Matthew's office, all right? <laughs> you got these disciples like Peter, James, and John. They couldn't even get into rabbinical school, most scholars believe. 
They weren't smart enough. And Jesus gathers, and he got Judas. Judas! Okay, the crook, you know, a thief, a traitor. And these are the 12 that Jesus is going to take and build the kingdom of God with. And this, this, they, they look at the stone, they say, I don't think so. And they kick it. And they got to get rid of it. And the same way, the whole theme of scripture is that God takes stones that apparently are like mustard seed, look like nothing, and he does something unexpected. Look at Moses. Moses, 80 years old. He's murdered somebody. He's a loser. His life looks like it's over. And God says, it's that stone. I'm going to build my new people of God. God takes Daniel, a young man, 17, 18 years old. He loses everything, his family, his culture, his education, his name. He gets carried away as a slave to Babylon, the superpower of the day. And God says, that's a stone I'm going to build with. He is not a loser. God takes people like John the Baptist and Elijah living in the desert. John the Baptist eating wild, you know, locusts and honey. And I mean, come on. And God says, no, that's my man. It's like the early monastics, you know, the monks. And he's in the desert seeking God. He says, no, God, I'm going to take that and build my kingdom. And so remember, in this passage, in the first century, Jesus didn't look like much. Most people missed him. And so in, in that day, you've got Aristotle and Plato in, in, in Greece, great scholars and brilliance, and, and some of you have read their works. Here's Jesus speaking in parables to illiterate peasants. And it doesn't look like much. You've got the great uh, temples and buildings of Herod. They were, they were considered the wonders of the world of that day, temples to Ar- Artemis. And yet you've got Jesus with these 12. He owns nothing, has nowhere to lay his head. And Jesus says, what you don't get is the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the Lord has done it. It's marvelous in our eyes, but you keep missing it and rejecting him. And so here's our text. The Lord has done this and you miss it. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Against all odds, God's accomplishing something and it's completely unaccepted. It's through Jesus and these 12 that God is going to transform the world. The religious leaders look at it and say, no way. And they kick the stone out and they're going to keep going, building their own little, own little lives. So today, I want to talk to you about stones. Because the religious leaders in, in Mark 12 are saying Jesus is just a pest. He's basically a pain in the neck. We're going to get rid of him. And they're missing the core of what God is doing. Because we all have stones. We have little stones in our lives. And then we got some big boulders in our lives. And these boulders, God's in them. And the question is, what do you do with the stones that God allows or brings into your lives? Into your life? Do you kick them to get rid of them? Because they're in the way. Because you're building a life. You, you're going somewhere. You, you got a plan for your marriage, your, your, your career, your relationships, your friendships. You, you got your future. You see it. And then these stones come in and you're saying, this does not fit. This is going to cause me to stumble. So I got to kick it and get rid of this obstacle. Stones apparently are obstacles in the way. And what today's passage is about is some of us, we're getting rid of our stones. We don't realize that we're getting rid of Jesus. The religious leaders, they're going to church. They're praising God. They're also getting rid of Jesus. Because they don't have room for stones. And today, friends, we're talking about making room for little stones and big stones. Let's start with some little stones, all right? First, because the Christian life really is about seeing God in the stones of life. That's what it means to really follow Jesus. It's seeing God in the stones because, you see, if we're blind to the presence of God, and we often are, you really can't know the love of God because we're missing it. And see, 
When the Bible speaks about seeing, it's not just physical seeing. It's actually a, it's a seeing that beyond the material world, beyond your circumstances, and you're seeing hidden spiritual realities. That's seeing in the Bible. And so out of that, you're aware and attentive to God in all of life and how his love is coming to you, even through stones that you think are actually a pain in the neck and a pest and in the way. Now, the reason I started this message with, my name is Pete and I am a stone kicker, uh, because I too have in my mind, I like control, I like to know where it's all going, and I like to build with perfect stones, not crummy stones. Stones that fit together perfectly that come out of the quarry. And so what I do when I, when, I, when I see a stone, I normally just kick it and want to get rid of it. So, for example, when, I, when we started New Life Fellowship Church, uh, I remember there was also a church where some friends of mine were planting actually out in the Midwest. And we at the time were in Queens here. And, you know, we've got 10, 15 people. I think our average offering was $123 a week. And I had these friends who were planning a church in Michigan, and they had backing of a few folks who were actually millionaires. And so they hired five pastors to serve different functions in the church, five pastors in one church. All of them had been pastors for a number of years in churches that numbered over like two, 3,000 people. They had all this experience. They had plenty of money. The guy with the millions actually bought each one of them clothes and suits. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> And because I went out to visit them and they had a place to meet, a beautiful facility. They were just rocking and rolling and they hadn't even started yet. And here I was in new life. And I'm like, we're living on one hundred and twenty three dollars a week. My father's handing me 20s on Sundays, you know, uh, and I don't ha- I don't even know what I'm doing. And nobody around me knows what I'm doing. What they're doing either. We're all just kind of learning our way, you know, and it was a stone. And what I couldn't see was God was trying to do something tremendous. But I was kicking it because I wanted that. At least one millionaire, okay? (laughs) To buy me a suit or something for the holidays, you know? (laughs) And God was saying to me, build with what you've got here. See the greatness in the people that are around you. Don't worry about the superstars out there. They're all right here. And, and you know what? And, but it's so slow. I'm thinking, God, this is just so slow. And God says, you know, you're going to bridge racial barriers, cultural barriers, economic barriers, gender barriers. It was a mess, everybody. I'm saying, no, no, I want to go be the nice monocultural church where everybody's the same. We don't have all those tensions, you know. But God said, you, you do my will. You slow down here, you know. And then we're going to do small groups. And we're going to do mentoring very slow. I'm like, I'm kicking the stone. Oh, my gosh. Isn't there a quicker way for this thing to happen, you know? And, and then there's, we, we had a food pantry. We fed the homeless in the very beginning. I remember it was just always chaotic. Oh, you know, all these people with tremendous needs around and, and all this poverty. And I'm saying, I'm like, I mean, I know it's in the Bible. I said, Lord, but we got to move on from this thing, you know? I mean, I'm kicking the stones. And God's trying to bless me, protect me, build me, and save me. Basically from a lot of bad stuff that I would have done. If I had, if I, we had all those, all those millions of dollars, you know what? We probably wouldn't exist today. They don't exist anymore either. They're gone. But I realized God was protecting me. God was putting me in a cocoon because he had to burn a lot of stuff out of me. And I look back now and I can see that was God's stones. Limits, limits. Everywhere I looked, it was limits, 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 limits. Slow, 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 slow. I kept, and we kept having prayer meetings and praying and praying and praying. I said, oh my 
goodness, silence, silence. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. And I'm kicking the stone. So I said, other people aren't waiting on the Lord. They seem to have more people, more money, more facilities. And, God, and now I look back and say, no, God, Pete, you keep kicking the stones. You're a stone kicker. And then I would look at myself, my own background. And I was always kicking the fact that I came from a family with a lot of brokenness. Abuse, brokenness. I felt like I, I always felt like I was behind the eight ball. Because I, I came from such a deficit growing up. And I was always kind of catching up in life. And here I was learning to pastor for the first time and lead a church. But I had so many gaps myself. And I remember kicking and getting angry at my parents and at God and probably you if you were in the room. Anybody that moved. <laughs> kicking. Like, God, you know, why'd you do it that way that I'm bringing all this brokenness to the table? Why couldn't I just be a lot more together and not have all these gaps? But what I couldn't see is it was a stone given by God as a gift. Because what he was doing was he was putting the DNA into our church through all these limits and brokenness and stones. And here I am. I'm doing it, but I'm doing it half reluctantly. You follow me? I'm kicking it along the way. Oh, God, I'll do it. I'm I'm passive aggressive, but I'm kicking at the same time. Get this stone out of here. All that waiting for me for years, stones, stones, stones. To me, it reminds me of the quote of Truman Capote, which I love. Which at the end of his book in Cold Blood, he says this. More tears are shed over answered prayer than unanswered ones. And I think that when I got what I wanted, it was, I'd say, almost always a mess. And thank God he said no to me to most of my prayers because I was asking for the wrong things. Like, get rid of the stone and let's do it my way. The kingdom of God is upside down. It's very hard to receive. Because it's so disruptive. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they couldn't receive it. Because they had an idea of how this was all going to go down. And where Jesus fit in. And he wasn't fitting into their program. It was a stone in their way. And so they kicked it. And so you see, as as, uh, some of you know the poet, Gerald Hopkins. Where he said, the world is charged with the glory of God. The world's charged with the glory of God. His presence is all over the place. You know the story of Jacob? When Jacob is running from his brother Esau, he's in the middle of a great conflict and God begins to appear to him. And he says afterwards, he goes, oh my goodness, the glory of God is in this place and I was unaware of it. So many times, I know I'm going through life and we're going through life. God's presence is there, but we're unaware of it. And so we're kicking him out. Get out of here. We're doing it this way, God. With this person and we're doing it now. And we're kicking the stones. That's why it says in James 1, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What that word not mature and complete means that trials and stones are coming into your life. They come in all shapes and forms, everybody. And they're coming in because why? Because God wants to mature you and transform you. What you're kicking is God's gift. Because he wants to add something to you. The word mature and complete. He's going to put something into you that you do not have right now. That can come into you no other way. Now what I'm embarrassed about is I don't even do well, let let alone a stone, I don't do well with a pebble in my shoe. I'm getting rid of the thing. I mean, I just made a list of my little pebbles, you know, the last couple of weeks. You know, it rains on, you know, my day off. Because I want to go do something outside. I'm kicking, kicking rain you know the tolls go up again you know no parking spaces at church i just queens boulevard you know the car breaks down another flat tire 
I, I played sports a lot growing up, so now I got a little bit of a uh, Achilles tendonitis, so I started going for physical therapy. And uh, while it's been great to go to physical therapy, it's like four to five hours a week. And I said to God, I don't have time for four to five hours a week for physical therapy. It was a stone. So I didn't go for the longest time until the pain was so great. And I was kicking it. So I don't have time for this guy. I'm busy. Little did I know, God had so many friends for me to meet at this place. I made so many wonderful friends. You know, you're sitting around, you know, doing this stuff, you know. And you meet a lot of people. It's actually been quite enjoyable. But I was kicking it for, I'd say, over a year before I finally went. Lose my cell phone. I'm kicking it. I'm yelling. I'm blaming this person. That, I'm blaming you if you're around. You know, where's my cell phone? My computer freezes. Hit the thing. I have to make a diff go into a difficult conversation. I'm mad because if this person was different, I wouldn't be having a difficult conversation. <laughs> it's a stone, so I kick it. So I'm a stone kicker. But I suspect most of us in this room are. We're kicking stones all the time. Those are the little stones. But then there's the big stones that are boulders. And I'm going to share with you a story uh, that comes out of a book I read probably six, eight months ago. And uh, that's when I realized I was a stone kicker. Because it's written a book called Between a Rock and a Grace Place by Carol Kent. And um, it, it, she, she's really picking, this, is, this was her life verse out of her tragedy, which I'm going to share with you in just a moment. And it's coming out of Romans 9, verse 33. And this is the message translation. Careful, I put a huge stone on the road to Mount Zion. A stone in the way you're building your life. A stone you can't get around, but the stone is me. If you're looking for me, you'll find me on the way, not in the way. And so this was her verse, so I, I read her book. I was so impacted by the book, I put it down, I gave it away. Because it was so heavy. Because I realized, oh my gosh, I've been kicking stones my whole life. But here's her story. She, she and her husband uh, had one child, or have one child. His name is Jason. And he was a great kid growing up. Great academically. His teachers loved him. He, you know, they went on fishing trips with his grandfather. You know, just a really good kid, Jason. Um, he had a strong faith, knew Christ, a determination to, to basically make a difference in the world politically, um, militarily, in leadership. He went to Annapolis Naval Academy down in Maryland, graduated there in four years, had a great time. His first assignment was in a, as a young officer in a nuclear engineering uh, school in Orlando, Florida. Graduates, goes down to Florida, starts going to a local church, he's in leadership. He meets a young lady, they fall in love and they get married. Everything's wonderful. But he, mar he marries a woman that she already has two children. She's been divorced. And so it's wonderful. He loves the two children. And Carol Kent, who's, who's his mother, is now, he said, I don't just have a, a lovely daughter-in-law. I now have two lovely children, you know, stepchildren, three years old and six years old. Everything's wonderful. Um, but then what happens is uh, the, the, the son, the uh, first husband of his, Jason's new wife, uh, he had been forbidden to have rights to visit his children unless there was somebody accompanying him because there was allegations of abuse. But what happened was, for some reason, politically, the judge was about to give him permission to be with the two young three-year-old and six-year-old girls alone, without supervision. Jason loves these kids. And uh, so he begins to get very agitated, and basically he begins to, to fall apart, unravel emotionally, spiritually, mentally, about his anxiety about what's going to happen with his stepdaughters with their biological father. And so... Carol Kent writes the following. Just a year into our son's marriage, we received a, a, a phone call in the middle of the night that shocked us. Our son had been arrested for the murder of his wife's first husband. Here's what she writes. She goes, this is a bad dream, she thinks. I'll wake up soon and life will be normal. If God loves us, how could he allow this to happen? Our son is not capable of murder. 
But the news from the caller was true. She says Jason had pulled the trigger in a parking lot. A man died. Another family was planning a funeral. There could be no do-over. No opportunity to fix what happened. A man was dead, and Jason was arrested for killing him. It was the kind of shock no parent ever wants to hear. So she writes about how we went through two and a half years of trials in Florida. And ultimately, he was convicted in a Florida courtroom to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And she writes, we are living between a rock and a hard place. Humanly speaking, we cannot see any possibility that our son, who was 25 years old at the time of his arrest, will walk in freedom in this lifetime. At this point, he's 36. It's been 11 years. She writes about seeing his friends with their families. She writes about watching grandparents have holidays with children and grandchildren. And she basically spends all of her holidays going through strip searches and going to prison. That's her life and her husband's life. And uh, she gets to hug him once when she walks in and walk, once when she walks out. But the, in her entire existence is orchestrated around the prison he's in in Florida. But she concludes with this. She says, quote, I now believe it is possible to die from a broken heart. I've experienced the agony of crying until there are no more tears. I know the sadness of watching hopes and dreams for my son die. Right in the middle of my life, I ran into a huge boulder. I found that the rock in my path represented not an obstacle, but an opportunity. An opportunity to encounter the living God in surprising astonishing ways. And she writes, as I face the hard circumstances that I cannot fix, I am given a choice to bash my will against the rock that I think is in the way, or by faith, I can lean into the rock and find a place of safety and rest, a grace place that will save me from myself and give me everything I need to move forward in life. Year after year, God continues to transform my hard places into grace places where I discover surprising gifts of faith, mercy, contentment, blessing, freedom, laughter, and adventure, tailor-made for me with his tender, loving care. Now, she didn't say that cheaply. That's what makes it so powerful. But you see, when God says, you know, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, God is not the author of evil, but he takes evil and he somehow weaves it for good. And he allows these things for who knows what reason sovereignly to come into our, our lives. But what's marvelous? Well, what's marvelous is God and his ways and his love. That even in the midst of evil, he works good. So, okay, you didn't get a promotion for your job. Or maybe you find yourself, you're unemployed and you have no idea where you're going because every door seems shut. Or you're not just in your first divorce, you're in your second divorce. Or maybe you're in a relationship, you're just so crushed because a stone, a big boulder is this relationship did not happen and you're wondering if it will ever happen for you. Or you find yourself in school or in work or in a situation that basically stinks. And it's one big boulder and it seems like you can't get through. And, uh, or your dreams have been dashed and you wonder about the future and God says this to you, I can't bring the new until I end the old. And that stone that you think is in the way is actually me, shaping and forming you. I love what one ancient uh, writer said. He says, the only thing for sure 
you know about the spiritual journey is that what you think will happen won't. What you think will happen will not. And as I love this great truth, and that is surrendering to the unknown marks the great transition in the spiritual life. Most of us, friends, we like to fix and control. We want to know where it's all going, just like the religious leaders did in Jesus' day. Do you understand that if they allowed, if they accepted the rock that was Jesus, their whole lives would have been different? Do you understand how it would have impacted their jobs, their families, their priorities? It would have led to all kinds of changes for those religious leaders. And they said about this stone that was Jesus, they kicked them, let's kill them, let's get rid of them. But surrendering to him who leads us into the unknown, friends, that is probably one of the key transitions to growing up into maturity. The ability to say, I don't know why this is happening. I can't see any good coming from it. I don't know where God is going or what he's doing. But you know what? I'm going to trust in his love and surrender my will to him, even though I don't know where we're going in this thing. And I'm going to bear fruit for him and be faithful, even though it hurts. The whole crux of the relationship of us and God in scripture revolves around this issue. It's the Garden of Eden. God says, eat from any tree you want. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is right in the middle of the garden, God says, do not eat it. Genesis 2.15. God says, eat, eat, do whatever you want. God doesn't say why not to eat from that tree. He just says, trust me. Trust in mystery and what you do not know. I'm just telling you, don't eat from that tree. The rebellion was, I'm not waiting. I'm kicking the stone. I'm taking from the tree now. And they didn't want to wait. And thus sin enters the human race. That is, that is the sin, friend. It's kicking and saying, I'm not waiting. I'm taking it. The whole story of Job is a story about kicking a stone. Basically, Job, you know the story, loses his health, his family, his, his, his uh, career, his prestige. He loses everything and he's dying. 35 chapters, he's kicking the stone. He's kicking, kicking, kicking angry. God finally speaks in chapter 38 of Job and God says, Job, you have crossed a boundary. It is not for you to know. You are not God. There is a boundary of understanding how life works, that you were to bow to the mystery and trust my love for you. We have no idea what it's like to be God running the universe. Do you? We have no idea of the complexity and all that's involved in eternity of how God runs this universe, this world in which we live. And we fail to accept our vast ignorance of how much we don't know. And so what happens? We keep drawing conclusions. This is bad. This is good. This is bad. Kicking the stone. No, 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 no. We need this kind of stone in here. Get rid of this boulder. Get around it. It never happened. Deny it. And what happens is we get rid of the stones and we get rid of God. And the sad thing is like the religious people in Mark 12, we're still got our hands lifted up and we're praising him, but we're missing him. And we're kicking him and trying to get rid of him. And we wonder, is God reliable? Can I trust him? You know, we're not sure God really has our best interest in mind. And this false picture of God. You understand, friends, God is so... We have this picture of God that he's less than he really is. He's less loving, less kind, less perfect, less glorious, less gracious, less beautiful than he is. Friends, he is all those things. And he says, you can trust me. You don't have to kick the stone. You can embrace it. And let me change you in the midst of it and bring you life. And that's for this reason. That's why the most important thing, and we talk about it a lot at New Life, is being rooted in the love of Christ. Being rooted and walking in the love of Christ. But let's not underestimate how difficult it is not to kick stones. Can I hear an amen for that? It's very difficult. Jesus himself 
struggled with surrendering to the will of the Father and the love of the Father. In Gethsemane, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Three times he's struggling with not kicking the stone. He is to drink the cup and die for the sins of humanity. And it says in Hebrews, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Make no mistake about it. The way we learn to stop kicking the stones and boulders that God sends in our life, friends, it's through suffering and struggle. But it's through that process we're transformed and we learn to actually obey and surrender. So with that, I want to invite the worship team forward and I want us to close with a little exercise together. And here's my question for you. Do you and do I place ourselves in a place of humility and I'm completely dependent on God or basically am I ignoring the stones or kicking the stones that God's sending in my life to transform me? So, as the worship team comes, I was thinking about how, 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 do, we get, how do we get transformed? How are we transformed that we don't kick stones anymore? That we're not like these religious leaders we read about in Mark 12. Because God's coming in little stones along the way. And he's coming in the big boulders. And some of you have some big boulders in your life right now. So I'd like to take a minute of silence. Because I think there's four things we need. One is we need the word. You've had the word here. We heard a word about make room for stones. Don't kick them, but embrace them. That's the word from Mark 12. Then there's silence before God to make space to allow that word to go in. And I think part of that is grieving some losses of how we thought life would turn out. But it's in the silence of letting the word go into us. And then there's the Holy Spirit invading us to soften our hearts and our stubbornness and our demand to fix everything. And then I think there's community where we pray for each other, which we'll do at the end of the service. Community, we need each other so we don't kick stones, friends. So we surrender to his will. So with that, I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And we're going to take a minute before the Lord. And I want you to ask yourself, what are some little stones that God has put in your way? Or what are some big boulders or big stones that are in your way right now? And I want to invite you to surrender those to God. In silence before him. And so, Lord, so do a work in us of surrendering to your love and seeing your presence and love that we too may say, as Jesus said in Mark 12, it is marvelous in our eyes because God is good and his love endures forever. So we surrender our hearts to you in Jesus' name.